0: Hello, and welcome to the CDO Magazine interview series. I'm Chris Nehr, Chief Digital Officer of Synity, a world leader in enterprise data software. And we're partnering with CDO Magazine, MIT CDO IQ, and the International Society of Chief Data Officers to bring you this series of interviews with thought leaders in data and analytics. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Brett Starr, the Vice President of Data and Machine Learning Engineering, intelligent automation and business intelligence at Cincinnati Insurance Companies. Welcome, Brad, great to meet you.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate the time today.
0: Absolutely, I'm looking forward to it. So um, when I was was preparing for our discussion, I I checked your LinkedIn profile, which I normally do, and you have what I thought was one of the coolest descriptions of your organization and probably very accurate, Um, and it, it goes, from COBOL to the cloud, batch jobs to machine learning models, dashboards to chatbots, app dev to R- RPA. So, d- tell us a little bit about how that description came about in in context of your your organization and your brief.
1: Sure, and, and you know I think like for many people it's been a journey, and that journey has impacted my personal and professional experiences, but also that of our team, and that's helped shape this job description. Um, you know, look. Data is pervasive. It's a part of every initiative and every platform, every solution that we have going on in the company. So so through that, our team ends up, you know, with the seat at the table for all these different comings and goings. So you start to get a broad perspective on the different technologies and solutions that are at play and you're finding ways that you can lean in and, and help. Um, and so as the leader of our data engineering team, I just kind of found that I was part and parcel of pretty much every solution that we had in play. Um, and that meant our legacy systems. So your, your old school, more mainframe based solutions that I think you know, most Fortune 1000 companies still have some remnants of, and our emerging technologies. You know, and you have to live in both worlds. You have to be of, of two minds, you know, where you're steeped in tradition on these well-formed paths Um, And you're bringing on disruptive, you know, newly formed techniques and solutions. Um, So, you know, kind of I take that job description and I was like, hey, let's break it down a little further. How did that that come to be, you know, in that uh, in that old school bucket? You know, if I can use that term, uh, like I mentioned before, I think I I haven't come across a Fortune 1000 company that still doesn't have some mainframe or legacy uh, footprint. And we still have you know, a shrinking but but footprint there. So, you know, with that portfolio and data pipelines and applications that some of which we developed in the 80s that we're continually pruning and replacing with more modern configurable engines, uh, future proofing our solution stack, that keeps me in the COBOL portion uh, that you see there in that, in that job description. And then through our evolution of data engineering, you know, we've tapped into concepts and use of an enterprise canonical message like few companies that I've come across. And these canonical messages, they contain nearly every data element of value. You know, It's placed in a common structure, structure with a common label. You know, that makes it easier for other consumers to know if they need data, irrespective of system, how they can go about and retrieve that data. Well, this effort springboards our ability to source analytics from a governed data pipeline. And so you have this governed data pipeline, you know, and so working with these canonical messages, we found man, the volume of messaging, maybe even the size of some of the messages, maybe don't lend themselves to some of the traditional solutions and architecture that you have in place. So that started to pull us into the big data space where we needed some more horsepower and something that can handle, you know, different structured data types. then that started to expand the job description and experiences, you know, working with our um, canonical messages. But at the same time that we're doing that, you know, we have this rapidly growing uh, predictive modeling data, data science machine learning domain. You know, this is in our actuarial department, our data science department, a department that that our team serves. And uh, I, like, I like the joke that we have more PhDs on the top floor than most universities. I mean, we've got a lot of really smart guys and gals that are working up there, you know, and they're cranking out data mining and modeling and, and even to a certain degree, you know, some software engineering concepts. And, and now you, you've, gone, you've you've moved into the big data space, but you find, gosh, I need something even more elastic. and an elastic secure platform that can handle these dynamic workloads uh, that help us win on analytics. So being the primary support organization from an environment and data provisioning, um, engineering standpoint, that kind of brought us into the cloud, you know, space. So we started to evolve and you start to see that as part of the job description, um, you know, in, in your experience. And then in working with both our data scientists, but then also our analysts, which is another just growing community. And working with our analysts, you start to see the manual nature of some of our processes, not just the processes on the work that our analysts do when certain information is needed or a question needs answered, um, but also on just general processes throughout the organization. And by um, by having kind of that line of sight And then you combine it with, we have a lot of internal uh, innovation efforts um, that we have. We have a strategic innovation group, but through these different innovation efforts and uh, co jams we host internally, we've started to experiment with different cloud offerings in the machine learning chatbot and automation space. And some of these seeds were planted over the years. And then that led to the creation of an intelligent automation center of excellence, which our team uh, leads and runs. And you know, where we're focusing on enriching the lives of our associates. And we know that by enriching their lives, we'll be able to enrich the output and the service that we provide to our agents and customers. So, you know, I I know I rambled on quite a bit there, but it was just to kind of say like, how did that job description come to be? And it was driven by data being in all things at our company and then finding the problems that we needed to solve has, has kind of pulled us into some different technologies as we start to you know, slowly but surely let go of the past and reduce, you know, some of that legacy footprint.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, that that's that's amazing. Well, that was very comprehensive. Thank you. and And a lot packed into there. So the whole thing that you're describing is what, you know, architecture folks would call a heterogeneous ecosystem, right? But in business terms, you know, if you're a business executive and not a technologist, how one might explain that is, look, we have all kinds of data, we've got processes and technologies that are decades old, and then we've got this, these emerging things, and those have all got to coexist. And where the value comes from is getting one hand to talk to the other hand, to the third hand, to the fourth hand. So my business question is, 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 is that resonating in terms of uh, your business audience and having them actually understand why sort of the data engineering work is of value. The technical question, I'd I'd love to just double click on the the canonical message because that's something that's fascinated me for decades. So maybe I'll, let's do the business question first and then come back to the the canonical message and, and a little bit more about how you develop that and how you're using it.
1: Well, I think when you explain the value prop of portability and the different systems and components and solutions that you can blend together if you leverage techniques like a canonical message or tap into microservices, but using APIs for integration and if I'm using APIs, I need to have a common format for how these systems can talk to each other or I haven't leveraged any benefit. So I think that comes across as common sense and pretty intuitive with our business customers. Now, where you seed that work and prioritize it, you, know, you may have some different views on where that would be versus new features that you're developing. But by getting the house in order, uh, and explaining how that can actually allow you to be more extensible and nimble in the future, you start to get that buy-in. I don't think any you know system's ever perfect. I mean, I, I love this one. Uh, comment that a buddy in our team, and I don't know who he stole it from, so I apologize. I forget that. But he said, sometimes in IT, you're trading big problems for small problems, right? And you're, you're getting rid of that big problem, but you've added a new level of complexity, or you've had to do some trade-offs on your prioritization. And I think, you know, that's when you're implementing any foundational technology, you may say, hey, we're, we're not going to take a shortcut for this one particular solution so that we get all this long-term value. Other times, you go the other way. You say, hey, I'm going to go tactical and take a shortcut approach, but I'm going to come back and do the, the hardening there.
0: Yeah, oh, I think that that's key. And, and I think maybe we'll come back to this. But I, for about, I think it was about 10 years ago, it occurred to me that um, enterprise architecture is a lot like urban planning, right? So it's like you have these, you know, if you, you know you're in, uh, well, you're in Cincinnati, right? And there's a river through the middle of the city. It's not like you're going to move the river. Okay, well, they did do that in Chicago. Um, As you probably know, but that was you know pretty. It's like that's not something that you do every day. So you work with the you work with the legacy constraints, and you're right. Fortune one thousand companies, you know, almost all of them still have AS four hundreds and COBOLs. If they're companies that make things, they're generally heavy EDI users, and all of that has got to you know coexist with the uh, the the up and coming stuff. maybe to go back to the the canonical message because what what i what i love about what you're saying is that you've gone right to the heart of this challenge in the the heterogeneous ecosystem of of data interoperability data standards and government governance and kind of instantiated that through that message structure. Just if you can share a little bit about, um, you know, how, how you came up with that, was it, did it have some elements of, you know, what's sometimes called schema on read as well as schema on write? So that it was, you know, somewhat before the fact and somewhat after the fact in terms of ingesting different data sources and different signals from different data sources, and then also, is that is that um, built in in middleware? Is it built in, uh, you know, uh, cloud technologies or data lake te- type technologies? Does it span a couple of those?
1: Yeah, you know, let's let's unpack that a little bit, and maybe to just start at the beginning of it. You know, how did we get into the canonical messaging game? Well, when our CIO came on board, uh, who is an architect at his core, you know, he he knew the value of bringing in the interoperability and having a component based architecture, a service oriented architecture, what that can do for your entire ecosystem over the long haul. So that was almost a battle cry from the very beginning on how important it was for us to leverage a canonical message and come up with a common standard for how systems would communicate. I think every company has probably seen uh, a diagram in some IT presentation where it looked like the the subway sewer map or the spaghetti chart, or you you put in your uh, typical choice of what you wanna call it but what it showed in those examples were just an overwhelming number of point to point solutions and you know i could talk for days about you know the challenges in dealing with with point to point solutions but i think the the big thing to to start off is that we had a leader at the top who knew the value had the stomach and the fortitude to stick with it because it's, it's not for the weak of heart, right? You actually have to bring people together and come up with these common standards. You have to kind of lean into the process and say, you know, this is how we're going to structure it. This is how we're going to label it. And this is what it, what it means. But you also have to have someone then and, and multiple people that can speak to when you, when you put this work in, now you're going to be free to look at new systems and third-party, you know, vendors and partners and best-of-breed components and developing your own components and be able to more seamlessly integrate these systems because they just have to map to one standard. You map to one standard, and all of your consumption use cases, all of your sharing um, that needs to happen across your ecosystem will now be streamlined. And you know, if you, it, it for sure is that pay me now. You know pay me later um, example and so as you onboard new solutions and new provider new providers which i got to tell you um, not just new solutions you know in our company but new data providers you know just the rich ecosystem of all these third-party api systems that we can be tapping into to get better at at what we do leveraging this messaging standard gives you a leg up, up for consistent acquisition development and consumption and we are seeing these niche offerings just pop up left and right by a line of business or particular business process. Whether I'm talking about loss control or home inspections or something to do with key accounts, you know, these niche products are starting to bubble up. And there's a strong push for, I think every IT in, uh, department, every company to, to become more API driven, microservice architectures. And, and if you're gonna have that, you need a messaging standard in order to be uh, successful. And this can bring a lot of diversity into your solution portfolio. And I think that diversity is gonna continue to grow more and more. So the benefit from having a canonical messaging standard is gonna pay for itself one, five, 10 times over as we start to move uh, down the road. I I think the days of having a single provider, almost irrespective of industry, and I'm certainly talking out of school a little bit because I work at an insurance company, but just looking at the technology landscape, I think that single provider, alpha to omega, you know, type ERP, um, all-encompassing ERP, I think that is going away and we'll see that less and less often and so we need to be able to leverage concepts around components and engines and and the more that we make our components you know configuration driven engines the more adaptable we can be to new players on our team you know, talking from a technology solution uh perspective so i think that was kind of the, the vision set and uh, we all bought into it and we are seeing the lift of it and and now you asked maybe some more specific questions on how are we implementing that canonical message. And I, I don't know if you want me to pause or you want me just to yeah, keep going.
0: Well, no, no. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, just to build on what you said, I think there are a couple of really good observations. And just for, you know, this has come up in a number of my conversations with, you know, with with analytics and and data leaders is that the um, you know, the the new There's kind of a new emerging best-in-breed strategy, right? So the idea of one-stop shopping, and you know, certainly depending on the industry, obviously ERP remains critically important, uh, SAP and Oracle and so on. But but there there is no one-stop shopping. I think the other thing that's very interesting that you bring up, that you know, just is is maybe a a point of reference for our audience is it's it's I've spent a, a fair amount of time talking about. Um, the boundaries of the enterprise with respect to data. So internally produced versus externally produced data. Now, the insurance industry is is interesting because for since the beginning of time, right, you're heavily reliant on third party data in a way that, you know, in some industries, it's not that important. In some industries, it's important, but it's it tends to be more siloed. I would represent, you know, not that I'm an insurance expert, but it's pretty ubiquitous, right? So, so some of what you're articulating, just in terms of extensibility, kind of a suggestion for um, leaders who are not in the insurance industry is this is a good model because um, companies, like obviously, what we're hearing from from Brett, you know, you've kind of figured out how to do this in a way that allows you to assimilate both, you know, niche applications and third-party data sources in in you know in a way that's at scale. To kind of drive your your business, to maybe just play back a little bit of what I heard in that, and I, I definitely um, share those observations. Yeah, but if you could, you know, just double click a little bit more into how you implemented it, and just in terms of like, um, you know, technology versus business process versus data governance, how is it defined, um, and so on, and you know, middleware versus data lake—that would be really helpful.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of topics that we could get into here. You know. But I'll start on the on the messaging uh, front. So, you know, there are a number of of standards organizations in different industries, and one that's a major player in insurance is called Accord. Yeah. And Accord had a canonical messaging standard. Uh, that had, it was kind of a stone soup. It was contributed, you know, from IBM and Oracle and some other companies kind of contributed collateral to this canonical messaging format. And then they socialized it and worked with other carriers and were able to round out, you know, kind of a set standard and and even a downstream uh, data model uh, that you could look to implement. So that was our starting point. Our starting point was leveraging, you know, a, a, a standard that can be used throughout the industry. Because it's, it's about portability, not just portability in our walls, but portability with our partner ecosystem as well. So we're going through and we're starting to work on this standard. And um, again, I don't know if I'm going down too many rabbit holes here, but then you have to have a decent amount of dialogue to make sure that you understand the structures and the labels that you have in your message map to the physical data that's stored in that database that then maps semantically to what the business user believes they mean. You have to create that linkage between them. And there are data exhibits that you're creating, then you are also having dialogue to kind of land on this common understanding. So in the beginning, there's a decent amount of analysis and requirement work but the upside of this, which you know, I shouldn't put a button there, but you know, some people are like, oh, I don't want anything that sounds waterfall or sounds like it could you know, take too long. And I'm not trying to paint a picture of that because you can break apart concepts and subject areas. You could do it on, on agents or on location or certain parts of an agreement that you want to focus on. But the big thing I wanted to bring out about it is it starts to gain velocity. Because you find commonality in what you did with your first round, your first system that you're onboarding. So through that commonality, your second system won't take as long for you to start to govern and map to your standard. Your third system won't take as long. Your fourth system. So you start to build this velocity and how you can onboard systems that over time, then you have this pretty established standard that no longer do you have to go through these exercises of a uh, dialogue to help a new system on board as much as you're presenting your standard. Yeah. And your, san- your standard now has been documented and defined well enough that people understand what they need to map to. So then I think some of your other uh, questions were around like, well, what are the technologies that we're using and, and what are the patterns? And that has evolved too. You know, in the very beginning, we put a bit more of the onus on the source system to create an output in XML that mapped to the standard that we agreed upon. Over time, as we got more systems coming on board, we created a central facility that will do that transformation for them. You know, we found a lot of the systems that we work with already have a mechanism and a transactional trigger to go ahead and submit an XML or JSON message. It just might not be in the format or the structure that we need it to be. But if it matches the granularity that we're looking for, We can create a mapping service because we understand our standard and we can have some partnership with that systems me or business me, whomever, whomever we need to partner with And now we can provide that mapping service. And so part of that message submission is then translating it to the common standard and and schema. And then we store that in an operational data store. And all of your consumption now is from this operational data store that we we can size, we can use different platforms, depending on the use cases that we need to support. And no longer do people need to go and knock on the door of that particular source system. That source system, they can do what they do great and they don't have to worry about supporting all the needs of everyone else has of what their system does. That moves on to this operational data store. And now all the points of entry and request are through an enterprise messaging system, lever- leveraging a pub sub pattern, you know, where you, where you say, oh, hey, you had an event, I do care about this event. Now I'm gonna ask for that event from your operational data store so I can now use it um, in in the way that I need to use it for. So you bring common patterns of consumption and portability to bring in new systems on and you push any of that operational burden to a separate um, architectural and infrastructure component. You're not beating up on those source systems for things that don't relate to their primary core mission that now is offloaded to another piece of your, your architecture.
0: I love this conversation, Brad. I, I think it's um, uh, just in, you know, th- it's, it's interesting to me because um, I did a bunch of work probably 15 years ago in, in middleware um, and middleware was, you know, very, and it, it sort of has ended up, I think, being a little bit overlooked, but what I, you know, what I love about what you're saying, like there are a lot of companies now that have this problem that they've made big sort of data lake, data cloud investments, and then you get, they turn into data swamps. And I think what I'm hearing is you've sort of leapfrogged that a bit by really being tight on the standards up front so that you don't end up with, you know, oh, I've got all these terabytes of data, but there's really like, I don't know if it's any good or not, or there's no way to access it because you've gated it a little bit. And to your point, that doesn't mean that it's this big, you know, sort of monolithic waterfall thing that can still be worked in an agile way to deliver, to deliver value over time. So now I think I really appreciated how deeply we, we went into this today. Um, Maybe in closing, if I can put you on the spot and say, like, OK, so all of this and it's amazing and and I think um, very inspirational in terms of what you've been able to build and, you know, your CIO, any, um, you know, key predictions for sort of a three to five year horizon as it relates to, you know, either the insurance industry, technology, anything else?
1: Yeah, you know, if I were going to talk about something that I think would be uh, some game changer influences on the way that we work with data, you know, there's a there's a few things I'd call out. Regulation. I mean, I don't want to be the boring guy that brings up regulation have having a pervasive impact, but we're seeing an ever-growing and changing landscape of the type of requirements that we need around data privacy and security. Yeah. And that can impact how we support our analyst partners, our data scientists, you know, how do we create those data pipelines and where do we need to move those workloads? You know, I think we, like many companies, we have fantastic security and wonderful security models and all sorts of monitoring in place. But now there'll be a regulatory requirement that will continue to grow, that it's not just what do you have in place, but how well is that documented? And can you tell that story? I think that's gonna have an impact on how we create solutions. I think that's gonna have an impact on even how we uh, staff teams and and how we win on analytics um, in the future. I also think. Uh, I'm sorry. Do you want to
0: just, just to interject on that? I, I think that that I I completely agree. I mean that that's that's emerging in importance, and you know even uh, I would guess you'd probably tell me that the adjudication is not always clear between the different requirements, like you know state federal jurisdiction for international companies. The situation's even worse, right? Where you can have right re- you know regulatory bodies in different uh, countries that will in some cases have contradictory or conflicting requirements so there's definitely a you know big emerging area of, of attention
1: and, and we always like to say in, in insurance you know which I work in and maybe bankers would say you know you're you're talking uh, a big game there sir but we like to say you know, it's more complicated in uh, insurance and financial services because we're we're regulated at the state but you also have you know federal agencies that you have to uh, comply with and if you have international exposure you'll have international agencies that you, you have to comply with and you so you have to be able to satisfy the requirements of, of i guess i'd say the lowest common denominator yep. you know yep. what one state asked for then you're you're going to have that type of of onus on on your team and your solutions to be able to do that work so that's kind of the maybe that's a little bit more of the boring side about the three to five years in the future. I think in the exciting side is that we're gonna to continue to see the powerful platforms find their ways into the hands of our analyst community. So this, this concept around democratization you know, of data, of analytics, of machine learning, of creating your own automations, I think that is going to continue to grow because the platforms are gonna be powerful enough that you know, your analysts or your frontline workers aren't limited to um, excel on how they can answer questions. So I think there is you know, not too far from now, virtual agents that are writing right next to you, you know, that can use you know, voiceover text or they're looking at what's on your screen, and then they are providing insights in real time or near real time. They're going ahead and kicking off processes knowing that you have either a meeting you need to schedule, a follow-up, a format needs filled out. They are going ahead and, and helping you do your work more consistently and efficiently. They're bringing analytics to you to help you make that judgment call, to help make that decision. So I think there'll be this um, you know, augmented virtual assistant that will be with you through almost every step of the way. And and what we do in the data space is gonna drive a lot of it. I'm pretty excited about what the next five years gonna hold uh, in, in that regard.
0: That's, that is that is awesome. And and it is inspirational. I you know I, I hope that in addition to all that, the augmented assistant can help me with my PowerPoints, which I <laughs> which I still spend too much time doing. Um uh, super, Brett, uh, so nice to meet you and thanks for joining joining me today. I really enjoyed our conversation. and again, I, I appreciate we went you know really deep into an area that I think sometimes doesn't get enough attention um, and you know really is critical to to driving uh, driving a uh, data culture and uh, and results. So thanks again. I hope you have a terrific rest of the day.
1: Really enjoyed the time with you, Chris, and I wish you a great day as well.